0: My deep appreciation of theater history was instilled in me by Tom Empey, a college mentor to me and hundreds of others. While teaching Greek theater terms, he would grab the fabric of his slacks and say, You see these pants? Euripides, Eumenides, making light of content that could be considered rather dry and stuffy while still maintaining respect for the art, which is what I want to do with this podcast. For each episode, I invite a guest from the many paths my theater career has taken me down. I give my guests no idea what we'll be talking about, but they know we're going to find an outrageous story about theater history, and perhaps get a better understanding about why we're still doing it after all these years. So welcome to Euripides Humanities, and I am your host, Aaron Odom. Apocalypse, apocalypse. Said, why you wanna show up? The getting is good. Mm-hmm. Hey, friends and listeners, this is Aaron Odom coming back to you for another episode of Euripides Humanities, a theater history podcast. Thank you for coming back. Uh, if you haven't, uh, listen to the last episode, Inevitable Part 1. Go back and listen to that uh, before we continue with this episode. And I'm just realizing that this is the continuation of the story of when Patti Lapone, great actor of Broadway fame, created the role of Evita in Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical of the same name on Broadway in 1979, facing a ton of adversity and I'm just realizing that <laughs> I didn't even get to the part last episode where she actually got the part. So uh, I'm not really spoiling anything here because I think uh, at this point we all realize that she did get it. But uh, that'll be one of the first things that happens here. But I, I selected this point for a very, very, very specific reason. Um it's starting to get a little bit mystical, a little bit interesting here, and a little bit like, you know, some of these things aren't just as happenstance as we might think they, <laughs> you know, that they might appear to be. So uh, I'm going to quit yapping here, and we are going to get back to part two, in which I talk to my good friend Robert Bogue from Seattle about the creation of Evita on Broadway by one Miss Patty Lapone. Here we go okay so check this out we are getting into something that is gonna be pretty amazing here because you just suggested like there's this there's this uh theme of like it was it was preordained you mm-hmm. <laughs> know touched by an angel oh, uh, there's yes. a there's yes. a level of yes. divinity to it Okay. (laughs) Two days after getting back to L.A., she got the call that she got the part. And this is where she started to see something fateful happening. Had Kevin Kline not suggested for her to audition, had the part not been too difficult for most others to sing, had she not been able to negotiate a day away from shooting, and had she not been able to return to L.A. with the help of a superhero, we would not have had the extraordinary performance that was Patti LuPone in Evita. So when she, she said, when she got the call, she said with purpose, this is the next thing that I'm supposed to do. Nice. Right? Nice. But. Very nice. But. It would not be without old Spectres hanging over her. Okay. So I'm going to go through some of the highlights of the uh, out of town uh, tryout process, and I'm not even going to get to I'm going to end before she even gets to Broadway, because there were so many times that she could have lost this, that it it's it's stunning that she actually made it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so throughout the initial rehearsal process, Miss LaPone spent so much of her time trying to figure her character out. I've we've talked about it on this show. Like You mentioned Hamilton earlier. One of the very fascinating things about Hamilton and, um, you know, I don't know where I stand on it right now, but of course the musical is brilliant, but there are a huge faction of people in the historical circuit that go, that show is full of shit mm-hmm. because Hamilton was not this hero that we no. claim him to be. I mean, he frankly wanted to make uh, the role of the president a lifetime position. So it was mm-hmm. like, Wait a minute didn't we just leave that? Yeah. And and I mean there were so many things that are not the heroic character that we got to see. No. However, I do defend it because the ending line of the show is who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Mm-hmm. So therefore audience you now get the opportunity to be skeptical and go out and learn about this for yourself yeah i mean in in the opening number one of the last lines is uh america forgot him but he's on our ten dollar bill so we're like Mm -hmm. okay cool the reason he's on our ten dollar bill is because some industrialist asshole uh, uh uh who's it's either carnegie or Mellon. it's one of the two petitioned for him to be on there because yeah. he championed capitalism so hardcore and basically wanted to make sure that the working classes were working for the upper classes.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, well, okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to just segue just a minute because I just, yeah. so, so because I've also gone back and forth with, with, with Hamilton. I, I have, I have, I had not seen Hamilton honestly till, till recently. Mm-hmm. and I still stand behind my original idea is that, is that there's a lot of hype that that, that a, a show like Hamilton and I'll make this more of a of a of a broad statement just using Hamilton as an example mm-hmm. a show like Hamilton changing mm-hmm. the idea I, I think it, they they say it 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 makes Broadway accessible to the masses yes I disagree with that wholeheartedly yeah I can see that I think that the show, while visually amazing, written amazing, the talent, uh, the the music, the 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 way it's presented, is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and for what it is, I think though that that if you want to make Broadway accessible to the masses, it's an experience. It's it's a visual, uh, it's a visual uh, and uh, an auditory experience. You need to be able to go and experience it and the common person is not going to be able to do that for $800 a seat when they're sitting nosebleeds no and they're not and now actors have to get paid artists have to be paid Mm -hmm. but there is a very big difference between the artist getting paid fairly and the um the 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 public being able to actually attend and being able to to do more than just view this on Disney Plus, so yeah. Yeah. I I have a lot of things that I have that I think are pro- that are also a problem for me about uh, about Hamilton. Um, I think that I think that there are a lot of things about Broadway overall that have become that have become kind of elitist. That I think. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think, I think it needs to that needs to change. But with that having being said, there's some amazing amazing shows. Hamilton oh, yeah. is an amazing show. Um uh Hades Town, amazing mm-hmm. show. And going back, you know, it's it's Disney Lion King, amazing show. You know, a, yeah, a visually, visually, I mean oh, they're amazing shows. Mm-hmm. But there is an element that needs to that when you 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 say you want to make things accessible, then make them actually accessible. Um, right, right. Know, that was my Access- that was my accessibility
0: just through the type of music that it's employing is not is not an in. And the funny thing about that is on my last episode yeah. where I talk about uh, Repo, the genetic opera versus Repo mm-hmm. Men, uh, we talked about that just very briefly. Where you know now you're getting producers and investors who are thinking, well, this could be the next Hamilton. Uh, Just like Mm -hmm. you had producers and investors in the early 80s thinking this could be the next Cats. We don't Mm -hmm. understand why this worked. It just worked and my name could be attached to that. So it's, it's cool, but kind of unfortunate at the same time that this is why we're seeing some interesting new works. But the thing about it is, there are interesting new works all the time. Yeah, it's just now we have a production community that's willing to put some money into it.
1: Mm-hmm. Anyway. Well, and I think, and I think too, I think the, the one one really positive thing about it is, it's not just a rehash of a show based on like an old television show or old.
0: Yep, or, or a movie. Yep,
1: yep it's something. Exactly. it's something. Granted, historically. It's got some problem. It's got. Yeah. It's got. It got. It's got problems. But it also gets you trying to think about history. It gets you. Yes. Questioned. Yes. And and the other the other the other shows. God love them. I know people that are in some of these other shows that have done these other shows. They're popcorn entertainment. They're that's fine, but they're not. They're not going to to enhance. I I, I don't think they enhance. The art form and i think they they become almost a dumbing down of the um you know you know why why go to the why go to the theater if i could just watch the same exact thing um on my television show you know my television. right right yeah.
0: yeah it's just a different so, method of telling it although yeah. say nothing about my legally blonde because i love that show um i won't say <laughs> i won't say anything about that i won't bring it up i'll
1: just shut <laughs> off of that there we go Okay,
0: so back back to the out-of-town tryouts for uh, Evita. Yes. So throughout the initial rehearsal process, Miss LaPone was trying to figure out her character, so she read voraciously about the life of her character, discovering the highs and lows of such a dynamic political figure, and not to mention the incredibly difficult music, but I'm, again, going to come back to that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Most of the actors in the chorus knew that they were in Hal Prince's staging and version of Evita, which for most of them meant... That they were doing everything they could to reproduce the version that had been seen on the West End. I'll say it this way: most of the people in like a chorus are just trying to keep their jobs and they're trying yeah. to secure and they're trying to secure the next one. So they're doing what they imagined how Prince wanted them to do so they could be looked on favorably and get another job next year. So most of them were constantly reminding Miss Lapone. About what Elaine Page did in her award-winning interpretation. Gosh. Uh-huh. Oh no, you've <laughs> got to stand over here. Okay. Well, that's not what she said. And all that uh-huh. shit, right? Okay. Uh-huh. Shortly into this process, Miss Lapone had enough. She said this: quote, I was polite for about two days. And then a Broadway reputation was born. Shut up, I said. I don't want to hear another word about Elaine's performance. If you tell me what she did, then I don't have a chance to discover it for myself. I'm an actor. I'll figure it out. End quote. Mm-hmm. And yep. I am totally in defense of that. I am I, absolutely, absolutely supporting that. Where they're like, oh, she didn't wear her hair like this. I really don't give a shit about it because we're yeah. not doing and that and show.
1: if she wear her hair like that, and were you also standing there telling her how to wear her hair and what the person <laughs> before them? The person before them. Uh-huh. It's It's a, it's a, it's a process. There can be no two productions the same. No, there shouldn't be two productions the same. You've got different actors. Yeah. (laughs) If you've got actual give and take, if you've got actual acting, actual emotion involved, there can never be two productions the same. There can barely even be two performances the same Uh because the, 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 the action and reaction, the motivation, the timing, can change and it's supposed yep. to change. It's supposed it is. to be a yes. Oh, I defend that like crazy. Yeah.
0: You want to know? Uh, so uh, a way that this all worked out for her. You know who her, her Che was? The Antonio Banderas character? Mandy Patinkin. Yes. Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, Mandy Patinkin. Yeah. He's
1: also got a really bad
0: uh, uh bad reputation. Really bad yep. reputation. Yep. Yeah. But but I guess for that production they were like absolutely feeding off of each other and going, right. "You're going to help me get through this," and they did. You know, and the thing is, I remember all of this now that you're talking. I'm like,
1: man, you're gonna, I'm gonna sound on this, on this, on this podcast like Robert. Robert actually doesn't really know anything about Robert. that. Come on,
0: it was a production in 1979. Sure. I was fine. alive in '79. I should know these things. I was a child. I was a child. I was alive for a week when that thing opened. Oh, to see, the I was... day, to the day. I'm older than Evita.
1: I was a ch- I was a child, so yeah, I was a child in Utah of all places. Oh well, in there you U- go. I, I probably didn't even. I, I, you know, we barely <laughs> even knew that New York was a place. Um, you know, so um, you know about you know about
0: those people from New York. Yeah. No,
1: I've never heard of it. That's, that's <laughs>
0: nice talk about that. So Patty Lapone having this outburst and telling people, "Look, I'm going to do this for myself." Of course, that didn't stop anyone, and even came back in several backstabbing ways later. So. I said, I'm going to get back to it. I want to get back to the music and the singing pitch of the original script in the passaggio. Mm -hmm. And we were both kind of saying it like, yeah, Lloyd Webber is cruel to his women. I'm going to put a few things out there just to say, okay, this might be a consideration and I'm not defending him, but I'm saying this might be where he's coming from. I kind of consider what Lloyd Webber did to Evita to be something of an oversight as far as placing the original keys for the entire score directly in the passaggio. One, he couldn't sing them, but he knew what it sounded like. So he melded it all together that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two, this was his third big, huge show in a row. And who's going to tell Andrew Lloyd Webber, this is too high for me to sing?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's yeah. going to John Williams and going, I think this is a little much, don't you?
1: Yeah, yes. <laughs> Just,
0: uh... Doesn't that sound a lot
1: like Star Wars? I mean, yeah. could you <laughs> could you do mm. it a little
0: more Danny Elfman-like? Yeah. Yeah, you, I, just a little, yeah. little downward. So, okay. Now him placing that also could be a storytelling element. I mean, at the beginning of the show, she's 15 years old. Okay. So she has a much less mature voice. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing Patty in the original cast recording of this and going, God, she is nailing these notes, but they are way high. They're not like really high, like opera notes, but it's in a very difficult place to keep Mm -hmm. it steady. But this also hints at some of the first debates about the historical inaccuracy of the play. We don't have any evidence that Evita had a relationship with the tango star, augustine Magaldi, who in the play is the guy that brings her to buenos aires and as soon as you get there she finds out he has a family and just Mm kind of dumps her really what probably happened is she got there on her own but in the story it was just a convenient way for her to get there yeah so it transitioned her from young 15 year old rural girl to a girl who's poor and in the city but still like i mean in the next scene all of a sudden she's uh she's in in movies and stuff and you're like wait yeah. what what happened here mm-hmm. really what probably happened was she wanted to be an actor and her mom's like okay let's go as we hear so many people are like i i want to help you with your ambition mm-hmm. so yeah that's the best i can do to defend andrew Lloyd Webber. And it, well I, I i do think i do
1: think i think honestly yeah no i don't know how to how to say this i mean i, I speak from a a position of a, of a of a male obviously and i haven't yeah i haven't honestly been affected by this but it is very i think it's a very well known um idea and and and, and a fact that so many so many of the best roles are written for men and not for women yeah i think yep. there's a, there's a lot of people who do not know how to write for women uh-huh and i think that goes i mean i think that definitely carries over into music as well i think that yeah. um that you have this uh, especially uh, you know authors composers they have this idea that they want to just make it they want to make it work and they think you know this is the best way to go about it but it uh, it doesn't always always work for for everyone and i think that's no. that's wrong i think things right. are changing i think that there are at least again speaking from from a point of of a male point of view which is which is totally not you know not being affected by it in the same way Mm -hmm. but um i think that there there's much more awareness and they need to that that needs to change and i think that maybe part of he simply did not know how to really write uh write for a woman he like you say he had this is how i wanted to sound okay well how do you how do you get it there well just sing it well that's not it's not necessarily that easy
0: and somebody who's not a Meryl Streep or a Barbara Streisand mm-hmm. can't go to him and go I can't sing this and mm-hmm. he's gonna go you don't do have you? the power yeah do you understand who I am uh uh here's my Tony for Jesus Christ Superstar I carry it with me everywhere yeah. um you know so, yeah, totally. but, but if anybody wants to do this it's kind of a fun game like play any of the original Broadway cast recording and then go compare it to the 1996 Madonna version. It's transposed into a much lower key, much lower to, the key po- yeah. to the point where it almost sounds like it's slower. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you do something and it's it's a lower key, it's at the same rhythm. You're just like, ah, pick up the pace mm-hmm. because it just sounds like it's been slowed down. Anyway, yeah. that that's a fun thing. So in any case, Miss LaPone did everything she could to find the power in the passaggio, which again is virtually impossible, to sustain the singing throughout the rehearsal process. And plus, the out-of-town tryouts were only uh, May through August of 1979 in L.A. and San Francisco. She only had to make it through Broadway for over the course of like 8 to 12 weeks. During the evening of the Sitz Probe, which for those of you who don't know, a Sitz Probe is a rehearsal of only the songs, but it's a cast's first time with the orchestra. Miss Lapone was warned to take it easy with the vocals. However, the sits probe took place at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, which seats over 3,000. So if you're sitting on that stage and you're looking out there, most of us who are trained actors, we got to go, we go, I got to hit the back wall with my voice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Plus, Mm -hmm. Robert, there were no microphones. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's a great
1: thing uh to have. Yeah. house
0: that big That's yeah and a house that big when you're doing an andrew lloyd weber musical uh and as miss yeah. lapone recalls she was just excited to be in such a place singing such music that she blew her voice out during the sits probe as she sang over the chorus and the orchestra jeez uh-huh mm-hmm. at the end of the night no voice the next morning she went to the top throat specialist in la who said your vocal cords look like raw hamburger meat. And ordered Miss Lapone to five days of vocal rest. No use of your vocal cords whatsoever. This was five days before opening night. Opening night. Oh hell yeah. Wow. Man. Yeah. So so yeah, that means she 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 had the alternates had to carry on in her place. She couldn't be on stage during tech. She couldn't hit hit her marks. She couldn't watch out for the scenery. She didn't know all that stuff. Oh, and plus let's speak about those alternates who had to play for her. This is just kind mm-hmm. of a funny little sidebar. If you say that any of that either of the alternates were Christopher Reeve or, <laughs> uh, or Kevin Klein, I'm gonna be really I'm gonna be really um upset. Uh, No, no. Okay. (laughs) She did say that one of them had a thug boyfriend who beat up another one of the alternates who was just a step higher than that alternate, just so the third alternate could go on that night.
1: (laughs) It was a total Mm.
0: Tanya Harding thing, according. I was gonna say there's
1: a there's a there's a there's a play in that story right there. Uh so. So
0: the plot was eventually discovered, the boyfriend went to jail, and the alternate said her career was ruined, and probably rightfully so. Nonetheless, check this out after days of rest. Miss Lapone was well enough to perform for opening night. She had enough allies in the cast who would help her through the show so she didn't bump into any moving set pieces, got to her costume changes on time. However, even after that one performance, she blew out her voice again that night. And from <sighs> then on, from then on, was on vocal rest 14 hours a day for most of the rest of the out-of-town tryouts. Oh, God. <laughs> That's... I know, man. So you're like 12 weeks. You can't talk unless you're playing this role. Oh, Ooh. that sucks. Yeah. She had uh-huh. help about three performances in from a chorus member, David Vosberg, who she approached frustrated during the LA run and asked him, what's the vowel sound for the word glory? Just as like, how do I build it and how do I place it in my mouth in it? And from then on, it was a perfect partnership for the rest of the run as Vosberg became something of like a personal trainer for her voice muscles, getting a new title in the production and a raise because she needed that help. And when here's another part of the divination of this whole thing, Mm -hmm. when she asked him that day to help her out, David replied that something out of the divine, his partner had urged him to help Patty however he could the night before. And that day he got his chance. That's cool. Just That's like, cool. like he was going, I don't know, honey, what are we going to do? And his partner's like, baby, maybe you should just help him out or help her out. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there it came. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. Hey, speaking of the divine. Uh oh. Oh my God. Miss Lapone may have been inspired to continue somewhat due to what she calls visitations from Eva Perone who had been dead for over 25 years at that point. Mm -hmm. In the house she was renting, she could see into the living room from her bedroom. On opening night of the LA run, a floating black box appeared in her living room, which Miss LaPone reasoned, oh, that's the fireplace. I'm just looking at the fireplace. But she saw it again. Mm -hmm. And on the third night of the run, Miss LaPone swears to have woken to the figure of a woman floating at the end of her bed in something of a loose white robe, blonde hair that was flipped up at the end, but completely faceless. Miss Lapone was too shocked to scream or even move. And soon after, she swears, the figure flew out the window, to which Miss Lapone replied out loud in a calm voice, Goodbye, Evita. To this day, Miss LaPone believes that was the stamp of approval from the woman she was playing as Evita was again launching a popularity campaign to remove her name from infamy. Wow. Well, that's cool. <laughs> right? well, okay, so I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to,
1: you know, I'm I'm definitely not going to, to make any sort of judgments on, on that kind of stuff. But I think, I, so I think anything that, anything like that, that gives you the, motivation or or gives you the peace of mind that you're doing the right thing i think that's i think that's important you know however however it comes to you whether it's yeah. whether it's through an accident or divine intervention or a, a visitation or emanation or something like that i think too i think we all we all search that out too yeah, you know, we, yeah. we find those that if if they're not there we're going to find them so that we're reassured or we mm-hmm. you know or, or we find a reason to change course mm-hmm. but um I think it's a really cool. Um, I think it's a really cool uh, story. I think it's really yeah. Cool.
0: yeah, yeah. And I mean, on a psychological level, you could have people out there going, "Yeah, but you know, after days of stress, after you know, fourteen hours a day of vocal rest compared with an incredibly difficult performance in which she wasn't getting all that much sleep, and then things were changing, and and reviews were yeah. coming in and they were poor. Sure, she was under stress. That might have been something that popped up to her that she felt was a real event. You know what? If it led to what it led to all the better
1: there's totally there's totally lot uh like logical i guess reasons <laughs> why you would see stuff like that i mean i've seen mm-hmm. stuff before that that makes oh, yeah. no sense um yeah and but i mean whatever as long as it gives uh, an individual what they need to go on and mm-hmm. as long as it doesn't somehow interfere with everybody else <laughs> you know <laughs> As long as, as long as it's yeah. your own thing, and it, and and it, you're not imposing it on somebody else, it doesn't adversely <laughs> affect somebody else. Oh, you saw a ghost and you're singing better today.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: No, you didn't do that. That was this and this and this. You know what?
0: Right. Who cares?
1: I yeah. I, I um, so I had a I had a muffin and I'm singing better
0: today. You know what? <laughs> so here, haters, check this out. The specter appeared again to Miss Lapone in the San Francisco run when a spotlight blew during performance. Sparks shot out over the crowd. The date was July 26th, Ava Perone's birthday. Mm, okay. Yep. Yep. Sorry. Go. Yep. Now, despite all of this, her being able to muster up uh, the the vocal strength and everything to do the role plus the endurance in general to do it despite all that miss lapone did almost lose the job during rehearsals despite her desire to create the character in her own way miss lapone stated that she would often find herself at loggerheads with director hal prince many years later miss lapone did state that about hal even though he made her a star at least twice over hal prince is the cruelest director i've ever worked for great stager but a terrible director like there was always this thing where she'd be going no i want to do it uh, uh, this way and as she kind of put it he didn't necessarily say it but he's like well i'm hal fucking prince so Mm. you know i mean that was kind of that was kind of the 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 cloud looming over that but in any case a few weeks into the la run Hal attended a performance and he was rarely at rehearsals because he'd already staged the play. So he said, just go make it work and and do it this way. So when he saw it in LA, this was after Miss LaPone had gotten some fairly negative reviews. Miss LaPone was sure she was in trouble because in her efforts to discover the part for herself on her own in the out-of-town tryouts, she now feels she'd gotten away from what Prince had directed and that she was going to be replaced. She found exactly the opposite. (laughs) <laughs> wow. he came to her afterwards and, and he went and she's going, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. She go, and he finally went, no, that was exactly what I wanted. Even though he gave her no indication before that. <laughs> so that's interesting. Yeah. Prince gathered the cast that night saying that something was about to happen that they all would be laughing about years later. He announced to the cast that a column would be released in the New York post stating that Patty Lapone. Would be fired from the production, and that Elaine Page from the West End production was being summoned to replace her for the rest of the Out of Town tryout and possibly onto Broadway. Prince gathered the cast to let them know that this was not true at all, and that Miss Lapone would be continuing the role indefinitely, even though it would be showing up in print.
1: <laughs> well, okay,
0: so check this out. This is great. Okay, yes, I, I want to. I, this I want to hear more. Miss Lapone didn't find out until years later that Prince only did this kept her on the show because he and the producers, Robert Stigwood and David land were planning to fire her based on the bad reviews. They got in the out of town tryout upon consulting several critics and consultants in New York city. It was the suggestion of Clive Barnes critic for the New York times to keep Miss LaPone in the show. When they asked Clive Barnes, who should replace her? Barnes said, quote, no one. Let her figure it out. End quote.
1: Oh wow! <laughs> wow, that's wow, that's wild.
0: Uh huh. So you have this critic who's been on 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 stage for years, watching everybody, and they're like, "Man, we're thrown in the towel on this one, but uh, we got to still launch a production. Who's going to do it?" And he's like, "Her dummies." Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's a great story i like
0: that now this did end up backfiring in miss lapone's face during the rest of the out-of-town run as snippy members of the cast and crew would hang up good reviews of miss lapone's alternates next to the bad reviews of miss lapone all over backstage dicks <laughs> right as <laughs> shitty little actors can be sometimes
1: Dick actors.
0: <laughs> i know right and miss lapone did bring this to the attention of the stage managers but no one did a thing Miss LaPone stated that it was like a war zone backstage and she'd just have to go out and do her job every night. Nobody tried to sabotage her. They just tried to rem- remind her, mm, you're not as good as other people because they're shitty like that. Wow, that sucks. Despite all this though, check this out. This is great. Miss LaPone prevailed, obviously. Besides the throngs of musical theater fans who would attend the show regularly and cry and beat their chests with fanaticism, Miss LaPone recalls being more moved by Argentinians who would attend the play who were alive during the Perón regime. And the lines of division were stark between pro and anti Peronistas. Oh, wow. But what she recalls is that they were all complimentary of her performance. They all said, that's exactly what I remember. And good or bad, they all spoke to her out of respect. That's cool. Isn't that crazy? That's cool. Like, <laughs> I that's mean, cool that's cool there's there's been a lot of criticism of the play for historical inaccuracies and stuff And yeah. that it does have a very political slant to it but at the same time like it is a work of art you know at the at the end of hamilton who lives who dies who tells your story yeah uh but for these people who lived through it to see that woman and they're like you know you did it don't cry for me argentina while police are raiding our homes and i still love you mm-hmm. okay amazing well yeah
1: well i mean i mean that's i mean that goes back i mean the whole idea, the whole idea of the the political the political slant these this isn't a history book these are not no they're not, they're, <laughs> they're, they're based on they're based on they're based on historical characters but it's a storybook shakespeare yes. wrote the shakespeare's uh history plays
0: the histories they're yeah. written
1: they're, they're written to favor to favor elizabeth they're 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 written to to appeal because shakespeare was an actor and a writer and was trying to work at the time and they're they are done to favor whoever is in charge at the time it's for the same reason for the same reason so many uh television television programs when they're you know and 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 books and uh, for the love of god books everything if they're not supposed to be a history book you need to take them as they're not history books they're stories
0: right they're it's stories. a way to tell the story it's a way to tell the story in a certain light yeah, but that goes back to like impartiality and like uh, media, like how, how impartial can a news story actually be? Can you actually tell the facts without putting a slant on it?
1: Yeah, this isn't, you know, this isn't the news. We're not, we're not no. telling, we're not telling alternate facts that are going to, that are going to uh, make people sick. Oh, you know, uh, that happened. Later. <laughs> um, we're not telling, we're not telling alternate, we're not giving um, false scientific facts that are going to kill people. We're not no. doing this. These are stories. There is an artistic license. It's like paint. It's like painting a uh, painting a picture that is anything but photorealistic. It's an artistic mm-hmm. interpretation, right? Wanna, it's
0: <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't look like a bowl of oranges. You're right.
1: You're right. Um. You're right. It looks like a, it looks like a giant bald man. But I'm also trying. To compare, <laughs> I'm trying to compare the 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 similarities between oranges and bald men. That's what it is. It's artistic
0: license. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, at the end of the day, like you still had the people who were affected by that history come and go. That's what it felt like. Well, say so it couldn't possibly be exact because,
1: and this is one one thing I have always uh, had a problem with some of the the kind of method approach to acting and stuff like that. When it comes right down to it you know how the story ends. You know how the characters can get out of it. You do not ever have to live it in a moment of not knowing what your future is. Thank you. So, okay. so it can't ever be completely hardcore realistic like that, you
0: know? No, no. Um, If you go back, uh, uh, I do have an episode on Daniel Day Lewis playing Hamlet. If you haven't heard that one, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, so, hey, how about one more story about the creation of this role before I go? Please do. Uh, this is this is fantastic. I'm and learning I've... a lot, and I
1: haven't even had to, had
0: to had to pay for this, <laughs> cl- for this class. <laughs>
1: this is great. This is, it's like an online class, and I did I did. I'm auditing.
0: You know, I'm just. Hey, I'm just theater instructors here. out there, here you go. This is extra credit. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so one last story. Like I was saying, she was constantly being compared to Elaine Page in the original West End production. So, in a photo shoot for the San Francisco run, Miss Lapone was told by a photographer to reenact the balcony scene that most of us know, you know, the Don't Cry For Me Argentina, right? The photographer reminded her how Miss Page did it in London, said, You got to hold your arms this way. And Miss Lapone replied without explaining that she's not Elaine Page and had been constantly compared to her throughout the run. This is the way she said it. She said, I don't do that. I do this. And then I raised my arms in a V. I did it spontaneously. I don't know what I had been doing at the end of Don't Cry For Me, Argentina before that day. I'd just known I'd never done the V before. Well, I thought, I guess that's what I do now. (laughs) she, She went on to recall that during the San Francisco run is when she probably added another gesture to it that made it even more iconic. And now that I think about this, this is actually, I think this is in part of the Broadway run. One of the actors who played Che during her Broadway run related the gesturing and uh, retold the gesturing and how important it was that it uh, coordinated with the music. Okay. I mean, the music is there. It's there to help us out. We can do stuff with the music. On that balcony speech to the thronging masses of workers after Peron has has, uh, won the presidency and everybody voted him to be in power, mostly to advance the life of Santa Evita, Miss Lapone recalls that she and her colleague named the moves. Right arm extended to the descamisados, the shirtless ones, the thronging masses. Right arm extended to them, I love you. Left arm extended to descamisados, I love you. Both arms up in a V, in a V, I'm fabulous.
1: <laughs> oh god, I love that.
0: Uh huh. And that's when her compatriot, this. this actor who was Che, uh, Peter Marinos, suggested that on the final chord, Miss Lapone should drop her head slightly on her shoulder to mirror Christ. Christ. On the cross. Oh, I was
1: like, ooh, that's a, that's a Christ.
0: Man. Oh. At first, Miss Lapone was reluctant, but on the first night of doing that, the audience roared in applause, much mm. like the Descamisados. And you can go on YouTube and see her version of it when she performed it at the Tony's and mm-hmm. she's got her dress on and she does the right arm, she does the left arm and then both arms up at the end and drops her head on the final chord and you're like, oh, I do anything for wow. you. Wow, that's yeah. cool. And while there are plenty of other points to go over in the story, I'll end there. As history has written itself. Patty Lapone went on to win the first of her three Tony Awards for playing Ava Perone and has a reputation for being brassy and tough and holding herself and audiences accountable to what they're supposed to do. But I'll add this to this whole story. Okay. Miss Lapone still has, as one of her prized possessions from that production, a telegram from Kevin Klein who attended opening night on Broadway. And this is long after their relationship had ended, but they still were at least respectful to each other. The telegram had one word, inevitable, with the letters that spelled Evita in the middle of the word inevitable, all in capital letters.
1: That is cool.
0: Well. Inevitable.
1: <laughs> that is so cool. I
0: like that. And that's the story of Patti LaPone creating Evita that, on Broadway. That's cool
1: i like that i liked being a part of that and that's something story today that was really cool that was yeah. really cool yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: yeah yeah so i mean there was so much there was so damn much in this i had to like really pare down like okay what do we need to talk about and yeah. but geez like the idea of a creation of an iconic role is such a fascinating thing to me like we talk about that in film anymore i mean i talk with that with my kids all the time about which is the better joker in the batman movies and you're like no 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 we can't we can't they're different they're just different but this one was absolutely iconic because yes there were people who had come before but she made it her own yeah well and and, i mean i mean and she's she's
1: based on a real person that that so many people so so many people know and she did it, you know, obviously uh, a lot of the people knew her that knew the real person said yeah. that was just you know, but obviously she's not she's not the same person that no. uh, the, the, the 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 real Ava Perone didn't sing every twenty minutes, you know the, the real Ava <laughs> Perone Peron had other elements of their of 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 their life like is like we said before. Mm-hmm that are really problematic and what are the real you know what were the real motivations who are the people they really interacted with it's not it's not a history it's an artistic interpretation but it is iconic it is totally iconic
0: right right and this is where um i talked with a friend of mine uh, on a previous episode and i don't know if we included it in there but what a brilliant idea to tell a history that nobody knew. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, yeah, you have the people who lived in Argentina at that time and probably the outlying countries. And, uh, you know, most of this. Uh, there are a couple songs in the second act when basically Juan Perón sent Evita to Europe to try to see who liked him there. And basically he sent her because she's ultimately likable. But it wasn't a history that is so well known so Mm -hmm. now we have this play that is kind of problematic in that way because now you have people who think they know the history of Eva Perón when really what they know is a retelling of that story of the story yeah from a certain perspective and while it does capture some of the heartfelt emotion that you know they they considered her the spiritual leader of Argentina Mm -hmm. she was an opportunist yeah, you no. Know, she's she was a girl with some big dreams to become an actor, and then eventually ended up meeting this would be dictator and convinced everybody he wasn't that. And after she died, I mean, I think it was only like two or three years that he was deposed and thrown into prison. And then even later than that, he uh, uh, came back and was a president again. And his wife was the vice president. So oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, you really don't understand the history here. You understand the play. Yeah. And it is,
1: it is a story. It is a story. It is a, it is a musical. It is a, it is a story, you know, it's not. Yep. Yeah. And Woo. that has to be kept in mind. Yep. Whoa. There we go, Robert. The story of Evita. Thank you. You are welcome. That was like really cool. That was like, like I say that was like really cool. And I didn't have to, like I say I didn't have to, uh to, to do any sort of like, I give you my credit card or anything to, uh, <laughs> to to commit to on, and then and then next week at the same time, Robert, you will be here and I will start telling you the story <laughs> of Sesame Street. It'll be all yeah. the story oh. of Sesame Street. I know that'll be on a that'll be announced now. It's now, now it's on another one of your podcasts. Damn uh, it! Story now I, yeah. Street.
0: Yeah. yeah. I'm okay. full of ideas. Yeah. Well, there we go. Robert, thank you so much for appearing on the program today. That added a lot to the story. And uh, man, I'd love to have you again, uh, again sometime. I would love to do that again. I would love to do that again. Awesome. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. And for my listeners out there, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. This is Aaron Odom from Trident Theater in Sheridan, Wyoming, ending another episode of Euripides Amenities, a theater history podcast. I'll get another one out to you in a couple of weeks, and I will see you at intermission.